Hi there, Rodney here, just reminding you that Chris Francis' book, Remain in Love, about his time with Talking Heads and TomTom Tom Club is out now. You can order your physical copy if you like turning pages, but if you'd rather have Chris France read the book to you, you might want to check out his audiobook. You can find the audiobook for Remain in Love and millions more at Audible. And if you've never used it before, there is a one-month free trial, so you can go and listen to the book for nothing if you want to try the service. There's a link to Audible and to Remain in Love right on my website, which is This Must Be Talking Heads. Com. That might be a good thing to do while you listen to this. Hello and welcome to This Must Be Talking Heads, the show where I go track by track, album by album, through the music of Talking Heads and discuss their inspiration and impact. I'm Rodney, your host, and for this episode, I'm trying something a little different. This will be the first of a handful of episodes where I look at the side projects of the band members. After remaining light, David Byrne decided to take a break from the pressures of Talking Heads to work on some solo projects. Jerry Harrison did the same. Tom Tom Club was a chance for Chris and Tina to show the world what they could do, what they contributed to the band, and what they could achieve if they stepped into the spotlight. So that's what this episode is about. It's part one of my look at the music of Tom Tom Club. If you're a Talking Heads fan and you've never explored their music before, then I hope you'll enjoy it. And if not, I'll have an episode about the next Talking Heads album ready in no time. This show is first and foremost a Talking Heads podcast. With that in mind, I'm not going to cover every single song by Tom Tom Club, but I'm going to go through each album and look at a couple of songs that sum up their sound. These are the standout tracks, the album pillars, if you will. And best of all, I won't be doing it alone because I spent a lot of time talking to one of the founding members about all of these songs. Maybe you can guess who it was. Hi, my name is Chris France. Happy to be here. You may know me from Talking Heads or Tom Tom Club, or as a new author with my book, Remain in Love. All right, that's enough foreplay. Let's dive in. In 1980 and 81, Talking Heads had toured with an extended lineup after the Remain in Light album, with Bernie Worrell joining on keyboards, Dolet McDonald on backing vocals, Adrian Ballou joining on guitar, and Buster Jones on bass. So you might be wondering what Tina thought about having another bass player in the band. Well, it turns out it probably wasn't all bad. That turned out to be sort of like two queens in one palace, but I love Busta. He, he, um, it gave me an opportunity to be able to sing backgrounds and play keyboard parts, which made it super fun for me. And it was so supportive because Bernie Well uh, and came up to me at the end of that tour and said, uh, "Tina, you know, you should." You should be writing more stuff. I'd like to hear you doing more of your own thing because you've got really good ideas. It was a good time for Tina to be expanding her toolkit because little did they know it, but Talking Heads was about to go on an extended hiatus. Here's Chris and Tina describing what happened next with their band members and Sire Records. One thing Seymour did was he offered David a solo deal because David wanted to do a solo record. So then Jerry said, oh, if David's going to do a solo record, I'm going to do a solo record. So he offered Jerry a solo record. And then Tina and I were like, well, what are we going to do? And uh, Gary Kerfurst went to went to Seymour and said, what can you do for a uh, record deal for Chris and Tina? And he said, I can't afford three Talking Heads solo albums. With this big band, we spent all our money. We only have $2,000 in the bank. He said, I was thinking maybe that we could do something with Chris Blackwell because Chris Blackwell always regretted that he didn't sign Talking Heads. And uh, that's when we went down in March of 1981. And we went in there and we cut the rhythm beds for 
Wordy Rapping Hood, Genius of Love, and another track, album track, which would become Lorelei. And at the end of three days, we invited Chris Blackwell in, and he, he said, great, make a whole album. So that's how the first Tom Tom Club record came to be. So first up, we're going to look at that debut self-titled LP, Tom Tom Club, which came out in 1981. The moniker for both the band and the album was lifted from an old movie about beat poets who held poetry readings with jazz accompaniment at a swinging joint called Tom Tom Club. It's also the name that Chris and Tina gave their apartment, which is located near Compass Point Studios in the Bahamas, which is where this album and some of Talking Heads albums were recorded. So first up, let's look at their debut self-titled LP, Tom Tom Club, which came out in 1981. We'll come back to my interview with Chris a little later to talk about some of the lesser-known Tom Tom Club tracks, but Chris and Tina have spoken at length in lots of other interviews about the two big hit songs from this album, so I knew I could cover those regardless. And so without further ado, let's get this party started with Wordy Rapping Hood. To start off, I want to tell you a quick story. I played this song for a friend of mine a couple of years ago. He's about 10 years younger than me and more into the dance music scene than I've ever been, but I don't hold that against him. Anyway, he asked me who the music was and I told him, this is Tom Tom Club. Well, he kind of raised his eyebrow and asked if they were some kind of new band. When I told him the song was nearly 40 years old, his jaw just about hit the floor and he quickly whipped out his phone to Shazam it so that he could listen to it later. Since then, I'm pretty sure he's played this track for a bunch of his friends and told them how he loves the old school tunes of the 80s. Okay, now let's smash cut back in time to Compass Point Studios where Chris, a drummer, and Tina, a bass and guitar player, are working out the logistics of how to write songs with their existing skill set. They had most of the basses covered, but there was still the question of who was going to sing. My rap, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing in terms of rapping. And I told Chris so, but he kept saying, oh, no, Tina, this is the new thing. You got to do this. That's when I brought in my sisters and, and I said, well, maybe we can do some singing as well. In retrospect, Tina and rapping might not seem like an obvious match, but rapping was still an emerging art form. And anyway, after years with Talking Heads, this was a good excuse to not take themselves too seriously. Tina needed some inspiration. What was she going to write words about? And then she realized the obvious thing is to write words about words. She wrote down everything about words and language that she could think of. And then another unlikely light bulb moment gave the song a chorus and brought the whole thing together. We were outside walking on the street, me and my sisters, Laura and Lonnie, and uh, we were saying, oh my God, you know, lunchtime is almost over. We have to go back in there and have something to present. We have to sing. And, uh, but we don't, we haven't written the song yet. So we're going to have to sing before we've written the song. So my sister, my sister Lonnie said, Oh, don't worry. And she hooked her arms around both of our arms and started just singing something that we had been singing in school when we were in France growing up. And in the schoolyard, they, they used to sing this song, which turns out to be some kind of bastardization from an African song. And so we began singing. And 
I said, oh, that's a great idea. Let's just go in there and as a joke, just to make the guys laugh because we haven't come up with a vocal, let's just sing that. So we get in there and they roll tape and we start singing this. And we see through the control room window, we see the guys jumping up and down. Stephen Stanley has jumped on top of his seat and he's jumping into the air like this. We're like, hallelujah. (laughs) Because it was something that we had never heard before and it was like perfect because it was coming out of some place that you couldn't predict. I can't help but think of Izimbra from Fear of Music as another example where words and sounds just feel right without really meaning anything. It's amazing how a song that just kind of came together from elements in the ether hooked so many people right from the first listen. All that time honing their skills in Talking Heads was really paying off, and the infectious joy in these new tunes was translating into record sales in a big way. This was done in the spring that Then it was released long before the album was finished. So in the rest of the world, it had a life on Island Records before it ever got to the U.S. And I think it sold how many? Press Blackwell imported into the United States uh, 100,000 12-inch singles, which sold out. And that's when Seymour Stein of Sire Records sort of woke up and said, what? Get me Chris and Tina on the phone. (laughs) Yeah. And that's when we made a deal. Wordy Rapping Hood put the band on the map outside of America, but the stage was set for Tom Tom Club to explode in the US. And they did, all thanks to a little ditty called Genius of Love. There's a good chance that most Talking Heads fans know this song from Stop Making Sense, and I just need to say up front, I'm not going to touch on that here because there will be a whole episode about that coming down the line. Instead, like all songs, we're going to unpack the studio version, starting on the ground floor with Chris talking about the inspiration for the beat. There was one song in particular that I, I loved, and it was by this group called Zap, and the song was called More Bounce to the Ounce. was super funky and I was looking for something that would turn me on. We were creating the tracks from the bottom up so I thought about this song and um, it was like the springboard for Genius of Love. And then they would do our little keyboard part which was something that Chris and I came up with to, to create like a chord change, a two chord change, which is the That was like, I played one part, and then Chris played the finishing part, and 
this really simple little thing which was played on the very first Prophet 5. It was the, the one, one preset, you know? The Prophet 5 was still a new tool. They hadn't figured out anything beyond the basics. But as this song proves, sometimes the basics are more than enough. And since Chris had pushed Tina to do vocals for the band, she got her own back by insisting that Chris bring something to the table himself. And you might have been wondering what this was all about. It's actually a call-out to Hamilton Bohannon, legendary R&B drummer who worked with Marvin Gaye, The Four Tops, and most notably, Stevie Wonder. Here's one of Bohannon's solo tracks called Disco Stomp. Sadly, Bohannon passed away in April 2020. Even though the song acknowledges some of these superstars of the past, it was fast becoming a dance floor staple itself. There is a story, perhaps slightly apocryphal, that Chris and David went to a club and while they were standing around having a drink listening to the music, Genius of Love started playing. You can just imagine the hairs on Chris's neck standing on end with excitement and possibly concern about how David was going to react. I mean, David Byrne, the only thing he asked us when it came out, he said, how did you make those hand claps? <laughs> and we said, well, Sly and Robbie were in the other studio, and we asked them to come in, and we stood around a microphone, and we clapped the whole eight minutes, like three times. That was it. As simple but innovative as the groove was, it captured a certain innocence, or probably better characterized as naivety. With some songs and the prospect of an album now becoming a reality, Chris and Tina brought in Adrian Ballou to help flesh out their sound. After all, that had worked pretty well on Remain in Light. But when Ballou brought his frenetic energy to Genius of Love, the two very different approaches to making music were suddenly jarring. Adrian Ballou came down and did some great rhythm guitar. But then he put this really screaming kind of David Bowie kind of rock guitar on and it it was great, but it didn't match the mood of the rest of the song. And so I said, Stevie, whatever you do, don't erase it. He erased it. And Adrian Ballou never forgave us. Ballou has said in interviews that the engineer told him, Hey man, no distortion. Good thing Adrian has a whole bag full of tricks. All right, we've avoided the elephant in the room for long enough. If you're new to Tom Tom Club and you can't quite put your finger on where you know this song from, this might help you. of love it's just one of the best tracks ever made just as a track i mean it's incredible really and um you put it on and it just gives people a happy feeling that's right the dream girl of pop mariah carey heavily samples genius of love for her early hit fantasy so how the hell did that come about the story behind that is that she went to present her album and the guys all sitting around the the the, the meeting said but mariah that's somebody else's song and, and, and she said, no, it's not, it's not, it's not. But that's, this is what happens, you know, when you, in the, in the new world where you have producers who 
are also technicians who create a track for an artist to come in and do a vocal on top of. Her manager called up and said, uh, we want to use this track. And so I said, well, send it to us. You know, we'll tell you if it's cool or not. And he says, oh, no, I'm just going to play it to you over the telephone. And I said, oh, well, all right, go ahead. And all of this was leading into to get us for the smallest amount because it was our track. And she had sung over top of it. And she even sings a whole verse. But actually, we thought it was great. So it was, it was a boon and a blessing for us uh, because it, it, helped us, uh, it helped us get through some very, very lean years. And we were delighted that Mariah did it. And we just got another request. Uh, someone else is doing a, a track. So, uh, yeah, somebody's sampled Mariah's version for a new song called Just Like Mariah. <laughs> There's actually, no jokes, hundreds of songs that have sampled Genius of Love. One of the other artists that sampled it that stands out from the pack, though, is the coolest of the cool, the one and only Grandmaster Flash. Talk about musical credibility. And when the Grandmaster Flash song blew up, a fateful photo shoot featuring both acts was organized. Tina did a photo session with Grandmaster Flash for a magazine called New York Rocker. It was on the cover. Great picture. And uh, after the photo session, Tina brought Flash to the studio where Talking Heads were working. And we asked him, uh, so you think this record's going to be big? And he said, yeah, man, this record's going to be big. Everybody's going to be covering this record. And he was right. (laughs) And he was among the first. For Record Store Day 2020, the TomTom Club live album was re-released on coloured vinyl, and it features a photo from that infamous shoot on the cover. It's really cool. It's worth checking out. Wordy Rapping Hood and Genius of Love explode up the charts. It eclipses anything that Talking Heads had achieved as far as record sales. Suddenly, Chris and Tina are being recognized for their contribution to the band's sound, and people are starting to realize that David isn't the only one in the band with songwriting chops. So now we return to my interview with Chris, already in progress, and I started by asking him which other song from the debut album stood out to him. He nominated this one, and it's definitely unique. This is Le Elephant. This song is a real bopper, and again, there's a schoolyard chanting style to the vocals. You can also hear the dub influence on the vocals, with lots of echo and delay, giving it a dreamy feeling. Chris told me a little more about this track, since I couldn't really pass very much from the lyrics. The lyrics are in French, so, uh, you know, Tina's mother was French, and Tina spent a lot of time in France in her youth. So she wrote this anti-war song from the point of view of uh, wild animals. The animals are saying, oh, watch out, here come the men, they're going to cause trouble. 
and it's a really cool song. We had uh, Tyrone Downey from the Whalers play uh, acoustic piano on it. We had Adrian Ballou doing his uh, elephant noises. Adrian's so funny. He said, listen to this. And he, you know, elephant sound. And, and then he said, this is for you. I'm never going to do this with anybody else. Then like a month later, he went over to, to uh, England to work with Robert Fripp and King Crimson, and he did it on that album. And then he came back to Nassau to do his own solo album. He did it on that album, too. <laughs> I don't know whether Balu really did promise Chris and Tina not to use the elephant effects anywhere else, but you can hear the influence of songs like Wordy Rapping Hood and L'Elephant on Balu's later work, like this King Crimson track called Elephant Talk. It's only talk, back talk. Okay, before we finish with this album, I asked Chris about the band's cover of Under the Boardwalk that came out after the album came out and was included on later reissues. Yeah, we did that track as a one-off single between the first Tom Tom Club album and the second one. We were going to be touring as the opening act for Talking Heads, but it worked out really well. We did. We we went out. We played about six songs with Tom Tom Club. You know, just a, a short support act set. The album had been out for a little while, about a year or so, and we thought we need a little something to, you know, uh, something fresh for the for the radio to play and whatnot. I was in Japan, you know, listening to Japanese radio, and that song by the Drifters came on, and I said, hey, Tina, I love this song. Do you like it? And she said, yeah, I love it. So we went back to uh, Compass Point Studio before that tour began, and we recorded Under the Boardwalk with, uh, on keyboards, Bernie Worrell was unavailable. Uh, so we had Raymond Jones from Chic, may he rest in peace. Uh, and we had Steve Scales on percussion and Alex Weir from the Talking Heads Band also on guitar. really fun to record we recorded it i think in one day and mixed it in on the second day and then we were off to europe island records at some point decided to add that on the original tom tom club album uh, in order to give it a little recharge there's absolutely no denying that the first tom tom club album has big house party energy and is a great starting point for anyone looking to expand their listening beyond talking heads Next, we're moving on to the second Tom Tom Club album called Close to the Bone, which came out in 1983. This was written at around the same time as the Talking Heads album Speaking in Tongues. Once again, they returned to recording at Compass Point Studio and brought in the usual crew to get some tracks down. We were under a little pressure to get a new Tom Tom Club album out before we went back off on tour with Talking Heads. 
we had the same band, Tina, myself, Alex Weir, Steve Scales, and Raymond Jones on that album. So we're going to start our look at the second Tom Tom Club album with the opening track, Pleasure of Love. First thing you notice is there's a push and pull between the vocals on the verse, which are kind of punchy and stop-start compared to the sweet and flowing vocals in the chorus. The full album cut for Pleasure of Love clocks in at more than six minutes, but that was cut down to around four minutes for the music video, perhaps making it a little bit more accessible, but also to save the wrist of the animator working on the music video who had to hand-draw everything for the clip. This is definitely familiar ground now for the Tom Tom Club, and the protagonist from Genius of Love seems to have been reunited with her bow and is enjoying the fruits of their union. Up next, let's keep on moving with another banger from this album called On the Line Again. First thing that jumps out to me with this song is that the album's title, Close to the Bone, comes from the lyrics of the song. But you can also get the title for one of their later albums, Dark Sneak Love Action. This song also shows how, musically speaking, the world of Tom Tom Club is starting to open up more. More and more sounds are being added to the sonic landscape, and the instrumentation is pushing beyond the default presets. Part of that comes down to working with their collaborators right from the jump, rather than having them play overdubs on top of whatever Crescentina had already done. We had uh, Rupert Hine, who also, may he rest in peace, who just recently died. Uh, Rupert Hine was an extraordinary keyboard player and producer. And he just happened to be visiting Robert Palmer, the singer, who lived across the street from the studio. And Rupert played uh, on the song called On the Line Again. It sounds like a horn section. I like On The Line Again. It's a bit more menacing and prowly. There's a tension between having sweet female vocals and a darker tone to the lyrics and the music. It's a step in the direction of something like Blondie, which isn't usually a bad thing. Up next, a song that's a step in an entirely different direction, The Man With The Four-Way Hips. I once heard Chris describe a man with four-way hips as being a man for all seasons, someone who's good at anything. When I spoke to him, though, I still wanted to know a little bit more about where the song came from. My brother wrote the lyrics to that song. He was the lead singer with a band called The Urban Verbs, and he sent down these lyrics that said, if you like them, they're yours. 
and and we did like them. Yeah, the man with the four-way hips is a lot of fun, and the, I love the bass part that Tina came up with. The tune for this one actually comes from a Talking Heads jam session when they were writing Speaking in Tongues. You can actually hear the original version of that song on the Speaking in Tongues reissue, where it was called Two Note Swivel. So you take that basic rhythm track, add some colourful lyrics, and then you bring it all home with a spacey freakout. You see, we were working again with the engineer Stephen Stanley, who was a young Jamaican guy but super skilled at engineering and uh, particularly adept at what we call dubwise effects, uh, treating an instrument or a vocal with delays and uh, pitch shifting and stuff like that. He created some of those freaky sounds. They were probably not quite so freaky in the original version, but after he finished mixing them, super freaky. And lastly, this is something I discovered while researching this song, but there's a whole subgenre of musical appreciation called songs that sound better when slowed down from 45 RPM to 33 RPM. I really wasn't sure what to expect, but I'll give anything a go once. So here's the man with the four-way hips, slowed down to 33. Make up your own mind. Don't ever let it be said that any idea is too silly to make it onto this podcast. Okay, finally, we're going to jump ahead to 1988 to look at the third Tom Tom Club album, Boom Boom Chi Boom Boom. By this time, Talking Heads are working on what will be their last studio album. Chris and Tina have been busy raising a family, and they haven't toured in a little while. So they return to the studio to cut a new record, and there's a little more than meets the eye with this one. Between the original European release and the US and Canadian version of this album, four additional songs were added. But to cram them onto an LP, that meant that four other songs had to be removed. And that's almost half of the album that's different, depending on which version you got. Now, if you get the CD version, you at least get one of those songs from the original release back as a bonus track. That's a cover of Bob Dylan's She Belongs to Me. So this doesn't get too confusing, I'm going to look at a couple of standout tracks that are available on all versions of the album, so that should please everybody. And we'll start with the lead-off single from Boom Boom Chi Boom Boom, Sub Oceana. With Sub Oceana, Tom Tom Club take their sound to new depths, quite literally. 
There's a really slick music video for this one, and I just knew that Chris would have some tales to tell, so I asked him what the deal was. Oh, I totally remember the video very well. Um, the director was Tim Pope. We had seen his videos that he made for The Cure, and we really liked them because they were different, kind of unexpected. So we, we asked Tim Pope to, to direct that. It was done in London, and I had the flu like a really bad case of the flu. I flew over to London. I was so happy to be there. We were on tour, actually, supporting Boom Boom Chi Boom Boom. I didn't enjoy that video, the making of it, as much as I would have liked. The same thing happened to me when we, we made uh, Stay Up Late, that video. <laughs> but, it, but anyway, he had this interesting idea to, you know, make everything underwater, sub-ocean, and it I think he did an excellent job. In the music video, Tina plays like an underwater princess. It's all very mystical, and she looks like if Stevie Nicks hired Peter Gabriel's makeup artist. Saboshiana is yet another song that gives the album its title. The simple vocal hook during the chorus is sort of unassuming, but presents layers for the listener to unpack if they want. Mostly, this track is pretty chilled out. I got the impression from talking to Chris that fans preferred the old party music over this new direction, but you can understand why they'd want to mix it up a little bit. Speaking of mixing it up, I've been keen to talk about this next song for a long time now, and I finally get the chance to. This is the Tom Tom Club's cover of the Velvet Underground song, Femme Fatale. going to break your heart in two. It's true. First released on the 1967 debut record by the Velvet Underground and Nico, that's the album with the banana on the cover, Femme Fatale was written by Lou Reed and featured Nico on main vocals. That iconic cover and the whole album were produced by Andy Warhol, and he even inspired this song when he used the term femme fatale to describe one of his young muses named Edie Sedgwick. That got Lou Reed's creative juices flowing, and the rest is history. I knew the story about the recording of this one, but it was still fun to hear Chris retell it, so here it is. Latina and I loved that song, Femme Fatale, by the Velvet Underground, and we were recording it at Sigma Sound the studio in New York in the Ed Sullivan Theater building. We had recorded the, the basic track, and I said, Tina, what do you say we call up Lou Reed and ask him if he'd like to play guitar? And uh, she said, yeah. So I called up Lou. I said, Lou, we're doing this version of Femme Fatale and uh, wondering if you'd like to come up and play guitar on it. He said, yes. So he came up the next day. In the meantime, I had called up David and Jerry, and I said, Hey, David and Jerry, uh, Lou Reed's coming in to, to play on this song. Would you guys like to come too? And they both said yes. So we had uh, 
Lou on a, on a rhythm guitar and David playing guitar, but making sort of like sound effects like seagulls or something like that. And Jerry playing a very pretty sort of organ sound. Then Tina said, well, how about if you guys sing the background vocals? So we all went outside uh, to, into the studio, Lou and David and Jerry and myself, and we, we sang the background vocal. Everybody knows put Lou up close to the mic so that his voice would stand out. And it did. And that was that. That same year, Tom Tom Club toured in support of this album, including a two-week run of shows at CBGB. You can just imagine how packed the place must have been. CBGB was not built for bands like Tom Tom Club to play in. The intimate atmosphere must have been something to behold, especially on their last night when Lou Reed joined them on stage for a three-song encore, including a rendition of Femme Fatale. We have a, a, ba- a band called Lou Reed here tonight. We've got a little class for you here tonight. And this is a song he wrote. It's called Femme Fatale. All I can say is, thank God for bootlegs. Alright, this is our last song for this episode, and it's a nice soft landing place in the form of a tune called Born for Love. Pretty minimal, simple groove on this one. It's a guitar-led twangle with a clean drum beat. The trend of putting huge amounts of reverb on the bass drum, which was so popular in the 80s, had now thankfully come and gone. There's fewer keyboards on this one. There's lots of space. It actually, it reminds me a lot of Blondie or something like a chilled out version of Our Lips Are Sealed by the Go-Go's, which ironically came out the same year as the band's debut album, which just kind of brings us full circle. So that pretty much covers the TomTom Club albums during the Talking Heads era. Afterwards, TomTom Club becomes the primary creative output for both Chris and Tina, but we'll get into that in part two, which will come later in the season. I think, though, before we confuse our timelines any further, we should probably leave TomTom Club there and return to our normally scheduled program. Okay, that's it for the TomTom Club. Nice to be here. We gotta change back into the Talking Heads. But when I say bye, we gotta go. And that about does it for this episode. Usually around now, I'd be introducing a cover of a Talking Heads song from whatever album we looked at, but we have to finish the show with something, and instead of a cover, I'm going to play this song by the shirts called Tina of the Talking Heads. (laughs) 
Thanks for joining me this week. If you like the show or have any questions, feel free to email me at talkingheadspod at gmail.com. That's talkingheadspod at gmail.com. Or you can fill in the contact form on my website. And I need to say a huge thank you to everyone who reached out after the Romanian Light episode. You guys all rock. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can find me at This Must Be Talking Heads. And if all of that still isn't enough, you can visit my website at thismustbetalkingheads.com. And there you can find heaps of resources, including links to all the reference material that went into making this show. You'll also find a link to my Patreon where you can support the podcast and keep it sustainable. In return, you'll get access to some exclusive audio like my unedited interview with Chris France or an audio diary that I've been keeping about the making of the podcast. And there's lots more planned for the future, so stay tuned. And it's farewell from me, but until next time, your homework is to dust off your vinyl, crack open your CDs, or fire up your digital streaming service of choice and get ready for the next episode when I'll be looking at the Talking Heads blockbuster album, Speaking in Tongues. <laughs> <laughs>